Chapter Twelve of Chopin, The Man and His Music. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Clip. Chopin, The Man and His Music, by James Hunnaker. Chapter Twelve: The Polonaises, Heroic Hymns of Battle. How is one to reconcile the want of manliness, moral and intellectual? which Haddo asserts is the one great limitation of Chopin's province, with the power, splendor, and courage of the Polonaises. Here are the cannon buried in flowers of Robert Schumann. Here overwhelming evidences of versatility, virility, and passion. Chopin blinded his critics and admirers alike. A delicate, puny fellow, he could play the piano on occasion like a devil incarnate. He, too, had his demon, as well as Liszt, and only, as Ellert puts it, theatrical fear of this spirit driving him over the cliffs of reason made him curve its antics. After all the Couleur de Rosé portraits and lollipop miniatures made of him by pensive, poetical persons, it is not possible to conceive Chopin as being irascible and almost brutal. Yet he was at times even this. Beethoven was scarce more vehement and irritable, writes Ellert. And we remember the stories of friends and pupils who have seen this slender, refined Pole wrestling with his wrath as one under the obsession of a fiend. It is no desire to exaggerate this side of his nature that impels this plain writing. Chopin left compositions that bear witness to his masculine side. Diminutive in person, bad temper became him ill. Besides, his whole education and tastes were opposed to scenes of violence. So this energy, spleen, and raging at fortune found escape in some of his music, became psychial in its manifestations. But, you may say, this is feminine hysteria, the impotent cries of an unmanly, weak nature. Read the E-flat minor, the C minor, the A major, the F-sharp minor, and the two A-flat major polonaises. Ballads, scherzi, studies, preludes, and the great F-minor fantasie are purposely omitted from this awing scheme. Chopin was weak in physique, but he had the soul of a lion. Allied to the most exquisite poetic sensibilities, one is reminded here of Balzac's C'est beau génie et mon en musicien condine qui se rend sensible. There was another nature, fiery, implacable. He loved Poland, he hated her oppressors. There is no doubt he idealized his country and her wrongs until the theme grew out of all proportion. Politically, the Poles and Celts rub shoulders. Nix points out that if Chopin was a flattering idealist as a national poet, as a personal poet, he was an uncompromising realist. So in the Polonaises we find two distinct groups. In one, the objective, martial side predominates. In the other is Chopin, the moody, mournful, and morose. But in all, the Polish element pervades. Barring the mazurkas, these dances are the most Polish of his works. Appreciation of Chopin's wide diversity of temperament would have spared the world the false, silly, distorted portraits of him. He had the warrior in him, even if his mailed fist was seldom used. There are moments when he discards the gloves and soft phrases and deals blows that reverberate with formidable clangor. By all means, read Liszt's gorgeous description of the Polonaise. Originating during the last half of the sixteenth century, it was at first a measured procession of nobles and their womankind to the sound of music. 
In the court of Henry of Anjou in 1574, after his election to the Polish throne, the Polonaise was born and throve in the hardy warlike atmosphere. It became a dance political and had words set to it. Thus came the Kosciusko, the Oginski, the Moniuszko, the Kurpinski, and a long list written by composers with names ending in ski. It is really a march, a processional dance, grave, moderate, flowing, and by no means stereotyped. Liszt tells of the capricious life infused into its courtly measures by the Polish aristocracy. It is at once the symbol of war and love, a vivid pageant of martial splendor, a weaving, cadence, voluptuous dance, the pursuit of shy, coquettish women by the fierce warrior. The Polonaise is in 3-4 time, with the accent on the second beat of the bar. In simple binary form, ternary if a trio is added, this dance has feminine endings to all the principal cadences. The rhythmical cast of the bass is seldom changed. Despite its essentially masculine mold, it is given a feminine title. Formerly, it was called Polonaise. Liszt wrote of it. In this form, the noblest traditional feelings of ancient Poland are represented. The Polonaise is the true and purest type of Polish national character, as in the course of centuries it was developed partly through the political position of the kingdom toward east and west, partly through an undefinable, peculiar inborn disposition of the entire race. In the development of the Polonaise, everything cooperated which specifically distinguished the nation from others. In the poles of departed times, manly resolution was united with glowing devotion to the object of their love. Their knightly heroism was sanctioned by high-soaring dignity, and even the laws of gallantry and the national costume exerted an influence over the turns of this dance. The Polonaises are the keystone in the development of this form. They belong to the most beautiful of Chopin inspirations. With their energetic rhythm, they electrify, to the point of excited demonstration, even the sleepiest indifferentism. Chopin was born too late, and left his native hearth too early, to be initiated into the original character of the Polonaise as danced through his own observation, but what others imparted to him in regard to it was supplemented by his fancy and his nationality. Chopin wrote fifteen Polonaises, the authenticity of one in G-flat major being doubted by Nietz. This list includes the Polonaise for violoncello and piano, opus 3, and the Polonaise opus 22 for piano and orchestra. This latter Polonaise is preceded by an andante spianato in G in 6-8 time and unaccompanied. It is a charming, liquid-toned, nocturne-like composition. Chopin, in his most suave, his most placid mood. A barcarolle, scarcely a ripple of emotion, disturbs the mirrored calm of this lake. After sixteen bars of a crudely harmonized tutti comes the Polonaise in the widely remote key of E-flat. It is brilliant, every note telling, the figuration rich and novel, the movement spirited and flowing. Perhaps it is too long and lacks relief. The theme on each re-entrance is varied ornamentally. The second theme, in C minor, has a Polish and poetic ring, while the coda is effective. This opus is vivacious, but not characterized by great depth. Crystalline, gracious, and refined, the piece is stamped Paris, the elegant Paris of 1830. Composed in that year and published in July 1836, it is dedicated to the Baron d'Est. 
Chopin introduced it at the Conservatoire concert for the benefit of Habenick, April 26, 1835. This, according to Niecks, was the only time he played the Polonaise with orchestral accompaniment. It was practically a novelty to New York when Raphael Giuseffi played it here superlatively well in 1879. The orchestral part seems wholly superfluous, for the scoring is not particularly effective, and there is a rumor that Chopin cannot be held responsible for it. Xaver Jarvenka made a new instrumentation that is discreet and extremely well-sounding. With excellent tact, he has managed to add accompaniment to the introduction, giving some thematic work of the slightest texture to the strings, and in the pretty coda to the woodwind. A delicately managed allusion is made by the horns to the second theme of the nocturne in G. There are even five faint taps of the triangle, and the idyllic atmosphere is never disturbed. Scharwenka first played this arrangement at the Sedi Memorial Concert in Chinkering Hall, New York, April 1898, yet I cannot truthfully say the Polonaise sounds so characteristic as when played solo. The C-sharp minor Polonaise, opus 26, has had the misfortune of being sentimentalized to death. What can be more appassionata than the opening with its grand rhythmical swing? It is usually played by timid persons in a sugar-sweet fashion, although FFF stares them in the face. The first three lines are hugely heroic, but the indignation soon melts away, leaving an apathetic humor. After the theme returns and is repeated, we get a genuine love motif tender enough in all faith wherewith to woo a princess. On this, the Polonaise closes, an odd ending for such a fiery opening. In no such mood does number two begin. In E-flat minor, it is variously known as the Siberian, the Revolt Polonaise. It breathes defiance and rancor from the start. What suppressed and threatening rumblings are there? Volcanic mutterings, these. Musical score excerpt. It is a sinister page, and all the more so because of the injunction to open with pianissimo. One wishes that the shrill, high G-flat had been written in full chords as the theme suffers from a want of massiveness. Then follows a subsidiary, but the principal subject returns relentlessly. The episode in B major gives pause for breathing. It has a hint of Meyerbeer, but again, with smothered explosions, the Polonaise proper appears, and all ends in gloom and the impotent clanking of chains. It is an awe-provoking work, this terrible Polonaise in E-flat minor opus 26. It was published July 1836 and is dedicated to M. J. Dessur. Not so the celebrated A major Polonaise, opus 40, Le Militaire. To Rubinstein this seemed a picture of Poland's greatness, as its companion, in C minor, is of Poland's downfall. Although Karasowski and Kleczynski give to the A-flat major Polonaise the honor of suggesting a well-known story, it is really the A major that provoked it, so the Polish portrait painter Kwiatowski informs Niecks. The story runs that after composing it, Chopin, in the dreary watches of the night, was surprised, terrified is a better word, by the opening of his door and the entrance of a long train of Polish nobles and ladies, richly robed, who moved slowly by him. Troubled by the ghosts of the past he had raised, the composer, hollow-eyed, fled the apartment. 
All this must have been at Majorca, for Opus 40 was composed and finished there. Ailing, weak, and unhappy as he was, Chopin had grit enough to file and polish this brilliant and striking composition into its present shape. It is the best known, and, though the most muscular of his compositions, it is the most played. It is dedicated to J. Fontana, and was published November 1840. This Polonaise has the festive glitter of Weber. The C minor Polonaise of the same set is a noble, troubling composition, large in accents and deeply felt. Can anything be more impressive than this opening? Musical score excerpts. It is indeed Poland's downfall. The trio in A-flat, with its kaleidoscopic modulations, produces an impression of vague unrest and suppressed sorrow. There is a loftiness of spirit and daring in it. What can one say new of the tremendous F-sharp minor Polonaise? Willoughby calls it noisy. And Stanislav Przybyszewski, whom Vance Thompson christened a prestigious noctambulist, has literally stormed over it. It is barbaric. It is perhaps pathologic. And of it, Liszt has said the most eloquent things. It is for him a dream poem, the lurid hour that precedes a hurricane, with a convulsive shudder at its close. The opening is very impressive, the nerve pulp being harassed by the gradually swelling prelude. There is defiant power in the first theme, and the constant reference to it betrays the composer's exasperated mental condition. This tendency to return upon himself, a tormenting introspection, certainly signifies a grave state. But consider the musical weight of the work, the recklessly bold outpourings of a mind almost distraught. There is no greater test for the poet-pianist than the F-sharp minor polonaise. It is profoundly ironical. What else means the introduction of that lovely mazurka, a flower between two abysses? This strange dance is ushered in by two of the most enigmatic pages of Chopin. The A major intermezzo, with its booming cannons and reverberating of overtones, is not easily defensible on the score of form, yet it unmistakably fits in the picture. The mazurka is full of interrogation and emotional nuancern. The return of the tempest is not long delayed. It bursts, wanes, and with the coda comes sad yearning. Then the savage drama passes tremblingly into the night after fluid and wavering affirmations, a roar in F-sharp, and finally a silence that marks the cessation of an agitating nightmare. No saber dance this, but a confession from the dark depths of a self-tortured soul. Opus 44 was published November 1841, and is dedicated to Princesse de Beauvau. There are few editorial differences. In the 18th bar from the beginning, Kulak, in the second beat, fills out an octave. Not so in Klindworth, nor in the original. At the twentieth bar, Klindworth differs from the original as follows. The Chopin text is the upper one. Musical score excerpts. The A-flat Polonaise, Opus 53, was published December 1843, and is said by Karasowski to have been composed in 1840, after Chopin's return to Majorca. It is dedicated to A. Leo. This is the one Karasowski calls the story of Chopin's vision of the antique dead in an isolated tower of Madame Sand's chateau in Nohant. 
We have seen this legend disproved by one who knows. This Polonaise is not as feverish and as exalted as the previous one. It is, as Kleszynski writes, the type of a war song. Named the Heroique, one hears it in Elhert's Ring of Damascene Blade and Silver Spur. There is imaginative splendor in this thrilling work, with its thunder of horses' hooves and fierce challenges. What fire, what sword thrust and smoke and clash of mortal conflict! Here is no psychical presentation, but an objective picture of battle, of concrete contours, and with a cleaving brilliancy that excites the blood to boiling pitch. That Chopin ever played it as intended is incredible. None but the heroes of the keyboard may grasp its dense chordal masses, its fiery projectiles of tone. But there is something disturbing, even ghostly, in the strange intermezzo that separates the trio from the Polonaise. Both mist and starlight are in it. Yet the work is played too fast, and has been nicknamed the Drum Polonaise, losing in majesty and force because of the vanity of virtuosi. The octaves in E major are spun out as if speed were the sole idea of this episode. Follow Kleczynski's advice and do not sacrifice the Polonaise to the octaves. Karl Tossig, so Giuseppe and Delenz assert, played this Polonaise in an unapproachable manner. Powerful battle tableau as it is, it may still be presented so as not to shock one's sense of the euphonious, of the limitations of the instrument. This work becomes vapid and unheroic when transferred to the orchestra. The Polonaise Fantasie in A-flat, Opus 61, given to the world September 1846, is dedicated to Madame A. Verret. One of three great Polonaises, it is just beginning to be understood, having been derided as amorphous, febrile, of little musical moment, even Liszt declaring that such pictures possesses but little real value to art, deplorable visions which the artist should admit with extreme circumspection within the graceful circle of his charmed realm. This was written in the old-fashioned days when art was aristocratic and excluded the baser and more painful emotions. For a generation accustomed to the realism of Richard Strauss, the fantasy polonaise seems vaporous and idealistic, with all new. It recalls one of those enchanted flasks of the Magi, from which an opening smoke exhales that gradually shapes itself into fantastic and fearsome figures. This polonaise at no time exhibits the solidity of its two predecessors. Its plasticity defies the imprint of the conventional polonaise, though we ever feel its rhythms. It may be full of monologues, interspersed cadenzas, improvised preludes and short phrases, as Kulik suggests, yet there is unity in the composition, the units of structure and style. It was music of the future when Chopin composed, it is now music of the present, as much as Richard Wagner's. But the realism is a trifle clouded. Here is a duality of Chopin the suffering man and Chopin the prophet of Poland. Undimmed is his poetic vision, Poland will be free, undaunted his soul, though oppressed by a suffering body. There are in the work throes of agony, blended with the trumpet notes of triumph. And what puzzled our fathers, the shifting lights and shadows, the restless tonalities, are welcome, for at the beginning of this new century the chromatic is king. The ending of this polonaise is triumphant, recalling in key and climaxing the A-flat ballad. Chopin is still the captain of his soul, and Poland will be free. 
Are Celt and Slav doomed to follow ever the phosphorescent lights of patriotism? List acknowledges the beauty and grandeur of this last Polonaise, which unites the characteristics of superb and original manipulation in the form, the martial, and the melancholic. Opus 71, three posthumous Pol Polonaises, given to the world by Julius Fontana, are in D minor, published in 1827, B flat minor, 1828, and F minor, 1829. They are interesting to Chopinists. The influence of Weber, the past master of this form, is felt. Of the three, the last in F minor is the strongest, although if Chopin's age is taken into consideration, the first, in D minor, is a feat for a lad of eighteen. I agree with Nix that the posthumous Polonaise, without opus number, in G-sharp minor, was composed later than 1822, the date given in the Breitkopf and Hartel edition. It is an artistic conception, and in light-winged figuration far more mature than the Chopin of Opus 71, really a graceful and effective little composition of the florid order, but like his early music, without poetic depth. The Warsaw Echo Musicale, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Chopin's death, published a special number in October 1899 with a picture of a farmer named Krzysztof, born in 1810, the year after the composer. Thereat Fink remarked that it is not a case of survival of the fittest. A facsimile reproduction of a hitherto unpublished Polonaise in A-flat, written at the age of eleven, is also included in this unique number. This tiny dance shows, it is said, the characteristic physiognomy of the composer. In reality, this Polak is thin, a tentative groping after a form that later was mastered so magnificently by the composer. Here is the way it begins. The autograph is Chopin's. Musical score excerpt. The Alla Polacca for piano and cello, opus 3, was composed in 1829, while Chopin was on a visit to Prince Radzivill. It is preceded by an introduction, and is dedicated to Josef Merck, the cellist. Chopin himself pronounced it a brilliant salon piece. It is now not even that, for it sounds antiquated and threadbare. The passage work at times smacks of Chopin and Weber, a hint of the mouvement perpetuel, and the cello has the better of the bargain, evidently written for my lady's chamber. Two Polonaises remain. One in B-flat minor was composed in 1826, on the occasion of the composer's departure for Reigns. A footnote to the edition of this rather elegic piece tells this. Adieu to Guillaume Kohlberg is the title, and the trio in D-flat is accredited to an air of Gaza Ladra, with a sentimental au revoir inscribed. Kleczynski has revived the Gepfener and Wolf edition. The little cadenza in chromatic double notes on the last page is of a certainty Chopin, but the Polonaise in G-flat major published by Schott is doubtful. It has a shallow ring, a brilliant superficiality that warrants Nick's in stamping it to a possible compilation. There are traces of the master throughout, particularly in the E-flat minor trio, but there are some vile progressions and an air of vulgarity surely not Chopin's. This dance form, since the death of the great composer, has been chiefly developed on the virtuoso side. Beethoven, Schubert, Weber, and even Bach, in his B minor suite for strings and flute, also indulged in this form. Wagner, as a student, wrote a polonaise for four hands, in D, and in Schumann's Papillons there is a charming specimen. 
Rubinstein composed a most brilliant and dramatic example in E-flat in La Balle. The Liszt polonaises, all said and done, are the most remarkable in design and execution since Chopin, but they are more Hungarian than Polish. End of chapter 12